When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you all for joining us. Uh, I'm delighted to say that with me in the studio today, it's James Gearbrandt and James Scowcroft. We'll be breaking down the Premier League weekend, and later on, I know you're excited, we'll be joined by Matthew Syed. He's written a piece in the game on Dele Alley and all the hoopla surrounding his gesture at Wembley in midweek. But there's one place to start, and that's at the Etihad. And within the Etihad, there seems to be one incident with which to start. So let's go and get this out of the way uh, straight away. And by the way, we can also juxtapose with Alfie Mawson and, and Matt Ritchie, since that seems to be like the original thing to do in the sense that everybody's done it. Mane on Ederson. going. Correct decision? No. If it was on the halfway line, I'd say yes. But I'm going to bring this point up for you. Risk and reward. Okay, so you're a centre-forward. And the reward is, if you get that first touch, you're going to score a goal. Or you'll get the goalkeeper sent off. So the reward is extremely, extremely high. If it's on the halfway line, you don't get that reward. You probably just win the ball. And I think he has to go for that. Because if you don't, you get all your, your way fans behind the goal. If it's at home, you would be Barrett. Oh, you know, you should have gone for that. So I think in that situation, in that area of the pitch, it was the wrong decision. Well... You're doing two different things, though, here, because I think a lot of people would agree that, you know, maybe he does have to go for it. And as people went on about endlessly, it's not malicious. He's not that sort of player. He didn't was look, he was looking at the ball, blah, blah, blah. But there's a difference between saying he has to go for it and he should not get sent off. I mean, sometimes you have to do things. And if you don't get to the ball first, you get sent off as a result. Yeah, that's my point. Why, why, if you have to do something, you're punishing somebody for something that he has to do? That doesn't make sense, Gab. But the rules of the game are kind of... But, but the rules of the game are a lot stricter than what you've just pointed out. You've pointed out that it wasn't malicious. It doesn't have to be malicious anymore. No, I completely agree. You're saying, like, because he has to go for it, yeah. right? It's a bit like if you're in the penalty box and you have to clear the ball by attempting an overhead kick next to somebody's head, yeah. you might still get done for dangerous play, right? But you shouldn't. But you're talking about the way things should be. When you talk about the way things are, do you agree that based on the laws of the game and that should have been a red? Or that that is a red based on the laws of the game and maybe the law yeah, is just the unfortunate? the laws of the game is a red, yes, I agree okay. that. But what I'm saying to you, that there has to be... 
you know, there, there, there has, has to be scope for interpretation sense, from the referee. Yes, exactly. The common sense has to prevail. You know, it has to come in where, you know, just the referee guy, just calm him down, calm the crowd, everyone down. Yellow card, say, look, told him what he's done, don't do it. But, you, you, you know, you have to understand why he did it. James? I mean, I thought it was uh, a red card, and I, I'd actually go further. I thought it was it was a good piece of refereeing by John Moss. I mean, he was in exactly the perfect position. He had a great view of it. I kind of hear what Sko is saying, but of course the problem is that once you start getting into should referees take into account the area of the pitch... You know the the, well, circle, the reward. I think is the, the, the risk, the I mean, risk and reward. Which I, is, I have to say, that's not something I've heard in in, the, mm. in sort of the the gallons of hot air that's been thrown out about this. I that's not something. You're the first person I think to have bring up to bring up the risk reward. The, yeah, but, the thing, the but thing a with goalkeeper. That, sorry to cut in. A goalkeeper gets sent off if he brings down the last man because it, if he happened on the halfway line, I know it's hypothetical because a goal. Do, do you understand? So so that that's. I just, I just think you have to... I've been in that situation before as a centre-forward where you're bearing down on the, the goalkeeper and if you think, I better pull out here because if not, I'm going to get sent off. A, the manager would go ballistic on the sideline and at half-time, would it, the crowd you're playing in front of would get him off. He's not. He doesn't show any desire. He doesn't see... You don't have a choice. The corollary, though, of, of saying that referees should take into account the area of the pitch and the kind of the risk reward for the, for the striker in that's there the tackler in that situation is that then you're asking the referee to make quite a subjective call Scurry might be saying in that case it was you know Mane might have scored and on the halfway line it would have been a red well what if it's you know what if it's sort of in a kind of in-between area but the point I'm trying to make is that once you start asking the referee to make a subjective call like that that's when you're never going to get consistency you're making potentially two different decisions based on you know the same type of challenge because of a different area of the pitch or the referee has a different interpretation of what the reward was for the striker in that situation so you're never going to get this kind of mythical consistency that people want no i i, I would tend to agree with that i i always wonder how much how aware is mane or is a striker in that situation right because viewed from the outside there's a whole bunch of calculations that we would expect mane to take into account which is, you know, the likelihood that he gets there first. At what point, he's obviously looking for the ball, not for Ederson, but he clearly must know because he has peripheral vision that Ederson's coming. Um, did he? Does he think that, you know, all right, Ederson's outside his box, so he's either going to run into me, which is good because then I get him sent off, or he might forget where he is and handle the ball, which is good because then, you know, it's uh, it goes our way. Or is he going to try to do some weird, uncoordinated goalkeeper karate kick, which might be good because it's not going to work? What, what, but did, what, what, now, let me finish. Um, Would he even expect the guy to go and just put his head down into the boot? I, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, I, does Mane's mind, and I'm, I'm asking this because I don't know how much actually your, mind, your brain can actually process. If I go in with my oh. boot, with, with my boot like that, Aren't I telling Ederson right, there's absolutely no way this guy's going to put his face, exactly. even if he gets there first? Right? Exactly. You're spot on. So if you look at the Swansea situation yesterday, Alfie Mott pulls out. If he goes into it, Matt Ritchie gets sent off because he'll catch him. But the actual, because at the last minute he's pulled out. Now, Marnie's got an argument to say, well, I didn't realise he's going to put his head in. Did he not? That That's a fair argument, but... You know, we always love to say he's entitled to go for the ball. Well, Ederson, you know, you can't blame Ederson for being brave and putting his head in there, which is really the only thing, the only thing he could have done. 
Do you see what I'm saying? And in the same way that in football, sometimes when we say there's there's fouls when there's no contact, right? When you go something and you force somebody to pull out, which is effectively what he might have been, what it, which is maybe again, I don't know that Mane thought all these things through, but you could maybe his brain does go that maybe maybe it does work that fast. You could also make the point. Well, Mane, you're, Mane's going in that way because he knows that Ederson's necessarily going to pull out because nobody would be stupid enough to put their head uh, in, in in the way of a flying boot. I would say it's impossible for him to process all of those thoughts when when you've literally got maybe half a second, a quarter of a second. I would have thought so too. Judgment. You've been in that situation though. When you play, aren't there a whole bunch of things that you know, certain familiarity, muscle memory, whatever that allows have, you to process I, things a lot, a lot more quickly than. But not that quick. I actually broke my collarbone once in a very similar situation where the goalie came up. Um, I think it must have been just on the edge of the box because he, he caught it with his arms, but his knees came up and his knees came into my body and I broke my collarbone. Now, you know, that's that's acceptable for a goalkeeper, isn't it? But that, that's, that, that again is that kind of decision. Do you, how do you not? Was he, how fast were you going? Very fast. Right. What's your take on it? Red or yellow? Or none? I, I'm going to wuss out here and say I have a ton of sympathy for, for Mane, but it's red. It's it's a red because it ends up being dangerous. Ederson, you know, you can't... The fact that Ederson did something that I think most goalkeepers, most players would never dream of doing and do something dangerous, but that, dangerous to himself, to his own health, that doesn't mitigate it. Like I said, I mean, you know, I think most keepers would not have reacted that way. I, I think most sane people wouldn't have reacted that way. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's... And that's his reward. I mean, one thing that kind of comparison that I thought was quite interesting is that, I mean, clearly they're, they're very different situations, but if you remember the, the infamous Nigel de Jong studying Xabi Alonso in yes. the chest, I don't think I've ever heard anyone argue that Nigel de Jong shouldn't have been sent off that. I mean, it's kind of gone down as a sort of infamously, sort of even comically bad decision on the part of Howard Webb. But in this case, I mean, I just I just think it's interesting that in this case... Mane's boot was was higher. It was it was probably more dangerous, and yet you've 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 actually got this quite sort of even debate. I mean, is that just is that because of this kind of this Risk perception that Mane exactly that Mane kind of had to go for it? Is there intent? Do you think he's really? I don't think there's. there's was there no intent on De Jong's part? I mean, do you think De Jong said, "Oh, I'm going to go and karate kick Xabi Alonso in the chest"? Probably not, right? I mean. I'll go back to my original point, risk and reward, and I think the reward is is very, very high, so you have to have an element of risk. There's a there's a narrative. It was a 1-0 at the time. There's a narrative by which if Mane doesn't get sent off, then this game goes in a wholly different direction and Liverpool equalise and everything's fine and you know certainly City aren't five goals better. Anybody see the start of that game that way as, a, as sort of like Liverpool and City being close? Liverpool did have chances, didn't they? But they were goal down. Very rarely does it doesn't help. It doesn't help you going forward. But defensively, very rarely does going down to ten men affect you defensively. If you're a normal team, if you're Liverpool, well, no, I mean Klopp. I thought sees things differently, right? When you go down to ten men, right? Everybody goes to the four-four-one, and and they all kind of stand around. It didn't happen here. No, but Klopp has a philosophy on pressing the ball, doesn't he? You can't press the ball with 10 men, especially against a team like Man City. 
and yet and yet he kind of went for it and what struck me about I think three of those goals were <laughs> were basically through balls mm. I'm like how does that happen when you're I mean we can blame the defenders blame the midfielders but if you, if you give up so many chances on through balls, you're you're. When well, it's, it's game management. So, so game management. You're, you're as a player, you're you're taught at, at ten men. So you stay in the game. So you, no, no, you sorry, have, sorry. you're saying what you were taught, and then and you're describing well, conventional I, I wisdom. Think it's general. But I, I it's general, right? It, yeah. But that's not what Liverpool did, is it? No, but why? Uh, this, this is what we. This is Jurgen Klopp. It's Liverpool's Achilles' heel, isn't it? But were you thinking, was it bad instructions from Klopp or is it I just bad execution well, from the players? The scoreline says it, it was bad. But if you think it's, were those Klopp's instructions? So you're 1-0 down and you go down to 10 men. Okay, so the first step in that game, can you get to half-time 1-0 down? Calm everyone down. You know, I, I, I understand this. I think most people do. But what I'm saying is, were those Klopp's instructions? No. Okay, so Klopp said we're not gonna we're not gonna use the conventional wisdom. No, he just carries on as, as normal. We're gonna carry on as normal. In some ways, the the blame in inverted commas falls on Klopp more so than on his players all day long. Now, this season, with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup. Please sign up. It's £8 for an eight-week trial. I think it's tremendous value for money myself. Now, we have our goal of the weekend in the Premier League. James, I'm going to start with you. I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, well, I, I picked um, Eric Maxim Chupo Moting's first goal for Stoke, which I thought was a really... Nicely worked team goal. Um, great pass by Fletcher out to um, Mame Biram Duf at wing back, who timed his run perfectly just uh, on the shoulder of Darmian. Chested the ball down nicely and sort of bent his cross round Darmian. And it was it was really well finished by Chupo Moting, who sort of got the better of of Bailly, I think it was in the centre. Does Phil Jones getting lost just add to the beauty of the goal? I didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of Phil Jones. He didn't sort of figure in my kind of mind's eye picture of the uh, of the goal. Scully, I'm assuming you probably scored a few more goals than uh, uh, Gearbrandt did in his professional football career. So, um, what's your choice? I'm actually going to go for a very basic goal, but very good. Harry Kane's second goal at Goodison Park. Fantastic centre forward play. Came off the ball, received the ball to feet very well. Plays it out wide, and like any good centre forward, gets into the box and a very good finish as well. Kane's movement was exceptional. I think very it's, good. It's one of it's one of his best attributes. The only thing I would say, if you were coaching, if you were Ronald Koeman, would you take your centre backs behind the woodshed, or would you just say, "Oh, bravo! Look, Kane's movement was so good. There's nothing you guys could have done." It's Harry Kane. There, there's two of you. You can't. It just seemed like he made himself invisible and then just kind of reappeared in between the two of them. It's shocking defending, isn't it? But okay. We're talking about goals, not defending. No, no, no. <laughs> just, just wanted to establish that. Uh, well done, Harry Kane. By the way, August, of course, is over. Did I say we're joined now by uh, Matthew Syed, who had, uh, as usual, uh, Monday column in the game. And Matthew, you in this one, you wrote about Dele Alli uh, and obviously his gesture um, in the England game when, when he gave somebody the finger FIFA will go and establish whether it was a, a match official or a, or a teammate um, but what what I'm interested in is that um, you take the line that if I interpret this correctly the abuse that Ali took from a lot of uh, observers 
was over the top and perhaps linked to to his working class background? Yes. So I thanks. Morning, Gab. Morning, James and James. Yes, I, I felt that um, what Delhi Ali did was wrong, and that an investigation is is probably a valid thing to do to establish whether he was gesturing at the referee. Uh, or as I understand, he claims that one of his teammates, so he can't have people going around on the football pitch making obscene gestures. And I can understand why there might be some kind of proportionate sanction. But my sort of deeper sense is looking, you know, I have to say, a relatively cursory glance at Twitter and some of the sanctimonious moralizing that I saw in some of the uh, coverage of the incident. He was sort of described as a bit of a chav, you know, somebody who didn't deserve to wear the shirt. And I think there is a bit of anti-working class sentiment that is directed at footballers, where we tarnish them with the same brush, that they're all basically thuggish and brutish. And I think that that is also underpinning the way that we often malign footballers for having the audacity with their bloody working class accents to earn a lot of money, despite the fact that they do so in a completely free and fair meritocratic environment. Um, and I, I think I did read a bit of that into this particular incident, but I think it's a much more pervasive phenomenon and a very British one. We're very acutely class conscious in Britain. And I think footballers, by and large, as a group, get a very bad press. It, it's an interesting one because, I mean, for me personally, I, I, I agree that it, that it happened. I mean, I just look at what Wayne Rooney got especially when he was younger, but it, perhaps even today, you know, saying he's going to end up like Gaza and stuff. I thought that was also, those are kind of dog whistle statements, I guess is, is how I'd put it. What I find interesting here is that, um, at least to me, my perception of Dele Alley, I didn't necessarily view him like that, nor did I realize, I mean, he's somebody who I think came across as somebody who's had a temper in the past, some stupid red cards, indiscipline. This to me is... You know, regardless who he was giving the finger to, um, this is another example of, of indiscipline. But people go on about the working class game and so on. Is there a sense that you can be working class in football and there's no stigma to it if you're sort of the yeoman, hardworking, thank you, sir, may I have another working class sort of guy who goes in the trenches and fights for the empire and so on and, and keeps a stiff upper lip and all this stuff. But if somehow you don't you don't fit that image there's more of an issue. Is that what you're suggesting? I, I think all of what you said I, I, I agreed with, uh, amazingly. Um, I, I do think that that's right, that if there is that salt-of-the-earth um, approach, a sort of subservient working-class demeanor, I think that's much more socially acceptable to uh, to the, the middle and upper classes, if I can use that sort of ancient Marxist terminology. Um you mentioned Rooney. It's an extraordinary and depressing thing that you only have to mention his name on some of the Radio 4 comedy shows for the entire audience to start laughing at his uh, inadequate answers in press conferences, that he's slightly monosyllabic, that he isn't as polished as what he would be if he had gone to a private school and been given debating training and all of the other advantages that they have. I went back and looked at some of Rooney's early exam results, by the way. He was absolutely stellar at mathematics at primary school, and he was very, very good in most of his subjects. But, of course, most footballers who make the grade have to make a choice early on about whether they focus on this. I think it's a shame, mate. It's an invidious choice to make, and it would be great if the academies gave better access to education and that young players took them up on it. 
Um, but often they had to make a choice, and Rooney didn't get the education because he was trying to forge a career in football and to joke and laugh and mock and vilify him because he isn't as articulate as other people who have had the opportunities that he didn't um, access, I think is is unfair and, and again, symptomatic of the prejudice you know we're, we're discussing. Matthew, thank you so much. Matthew's column is in the game on Monday. And Matthew, I had to cut it a little bit short because um, apparently our pal Frank DeBoer has been sacked by your pal, and this I say, James Scowcroft, uh, Steve Parrish. Scoey wrote down DeBoer sacked on a piece of paper. This isn't some kind of joke. He's actually been sacked. Four games, I believe he's the uh, the quickest, the shortest managerial uh, record in Premier League history beating Les Reed's record by a whole three games as well yeah, I know. yeah so and it looks like our old favourite Roy Hodgson is going to come and replace him if you're really paying Dookie Friedman why don't you just have him do it well that could be uh, could be a case as well so watch right, this but, but just to be clear Roy Hodgson not confirmed not yeah. confirmed but Frank Frank DeBoer leaving has been confirmed and <sighs> right. where'd you go with that one alright first of all I go back to this. I, I hate doing it because I know he's, he's your friend. And then, you know, Julian's not here to say mean things. But what is it with Steve Parrish's judgment on on people? And I go back to this. Warnock, Moody, Pulis, you know, the ability to read people, know how they fit in an environment. You go from Allardyce to this guy. And I'm, I, I don't blame him because DeBoer had a nightmare at Inter. Basket case club. He was a very late appointment. He certainly screwed up a lot of things, but it was a very difficult situation in which to work. So I don't blame him for that. I think he's a good manager. He may have a right future in the right context, but surely his team was not built for Frank DeBoer-type football at all. Why? Because it hasn't been a Palace way, has it? Palace traditionally have been in-your-face, counter-attacking football, big centre-forward, get the ball forward early. Um, difficult to play against, and the swinging from one from one side. I think Alan Pardew failed by trying to, you know, go down that road. Failed. Sam Allardyce comes in, totally changes it. Hard to beat. They succeed, and it's another massive swing to uh, to Frank de Boer. For me, I could see it coming. I, I, I thought it was on borrowed time from from day one. I just couldn't see how it was going to work. What I, I mean, I don't have a problem with them saying, like, you know, we played this way, now we want to change and become, you know, a different type of side. But if you do that, then you have to take the necessary steps in the transfer window. And the reality is you spent an enormous amount of money on Christian Benteke. He's locked into a long-term contract. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, completely. And uh, as you say, they didn't get him a lot of pieces in the in the transfer window. I also think, uh, and I've, I, I watched Crystal Palace a lot last season... I think there's a chronic overestimation of the actual quality in their squad. Last season, you sort of sort of heard incessantly, you know, you've got too much quality to go down. I think there are a lot of players in that squad living on their reputations, like Johan Kabai, Benteke, you know, I think is he's a very erratic player. Um, Scoey, Doogie Friedman wasn't there. He was, he was appointed in late August as the sporting director. They have this guy named Co, I think, not Seb, but some other dude who's their head of recruitment. Yeah. What's his name? Tim Co. Tim Co. Tim Co. And then there's Parrish and Mark Bright. Yeah. Who I don't know if Mark Bright has an official role or not. What's your understanding? Did they did they sit together at the end of last season and said, like, all right, Sam's leaving, who can we get? 
oh, we like the way this guy plays football and let's go in a different direction? Or well, I think I think there's two schools of thought, isn't it? I don't think anyone saw Sam leaving the way he did. Um, I, I think that was unexpected. But they did have time over the summer. There was a lack of managers around this. And, you know, there's not a glut of managers, is there, that you can you choose oh, from? That is such a lame excuse. I'm not, I'm not saying it is an excuse at oh, all. Oh, there aren't many Le- managers Hear me around. out. Hear me out. What Premier League owners should do, they should be looking into the championship and lower it. Why they don't, I, I, I do mm. not know. There's some dude, now I don't even remember what club he's at, who's heralded as some kind of genius. He's like in his late 40s. He was at Northampton. Chris Wilder. Yes. Come on, Football League man. Should they have signed Chris Wilder? What makes Chris Wilder good? Who is Chris Wilder, for those of us who don't know? Well, Chris Wilder is the current Sheffield United manager, isn't he, that's doing a very good job of Sheffield United. There's other there's other managers that... And he's got proper English players, right? Is it Sheffield United have all the English players, or is it, is it Wednesday? Sheffield United do. There you go, Sheffield United proper. are a very big football club. You should really... I, have I'm you ever very, been to Bramwell Lane? I have. I am have very you? familiar with the Blames. I know I know Neil Warnock. I've been there when they were in the Premier League. I don't oh, follow... Right. We've been through this. I don't follow the Football League. Well, Not because should. I'm a snob, but just because I have other stuff to do. Steve Parrish, his tweets last night. Now... <laughs> Again, I, I remember saying he's a criticism of the guy. I think he was maybe emotional when he tweeted them. I think when an owner of a football club makes a statement in that situation, it has to be very clear what he's saying. Either either very clearly hint that you're going to sack him or very clearly give your support. I, I read all his tweets. I couldn't tell if he's planning to sack him or if he's willing to stick with him. I, I, I Just all this ambiguity. Right. To be fair to Steve Parrish, if you look at Crystal Palace's next four games... They're very you, difficult. and They're extremely difficult. Yes, very, absolutely. Very, very difficult. Absolutely. So you, you, he's sitting there now thinking... But then maybe don't tweet. Can, don't tweet unless okay, people well, can that, understand that, what I'm you're sure saying. That, I'm sure that's an argument, Gab. They've got Southampton at home next week. So they're going into every game already. This is crucial. Yeah, you, you, you don't. Listen. And then after that, they've got Man City away, Man United away, and then Chelsea. So you're looking at those... Who've, well, realistically, I, if we I'm get not. one point out of those... <laughs> no, be fair. So... You've made him I'm sure. I'm sure. Listen, I don't think any of us here are blaming him for sacking the boar. I'm not. But I am questioning how it's possible that year after year you put yourself in these situations. You've got these difficult games coming up. Fine. You don't want to be stuck after eight games with just three points on the table, which is which is where you may well be, even if you beat Southampton. Right? I completely get that, and which is by no means a given. So nobody blames him. If you make a mistake, in fact, it's the grown-up thing to do. Oh, look, I made a mistake. Let me go fix that. Right? But Jesus, every year, every year, it's the same. Yeah, it's yeah, the same freaking yeah. story. At some point, you need to take a step back and say, like, why does this happen? Given that they have four very hard games coming up, does it make sense to pull the trigger now, or just let the board lose all the games? No, <laughs> I, I, I actually think if he's made a mistake, which he obviously had, and it just hasn't worked out, why, why think? Oh, it's only been three or four games. I better wait until ten or fifty because I'm going to get do it now. If you made a mistake, yeah, do it now. If you don't think it's going to improve, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. With that, I'm just questioning about a system where every time he seems incapable of of of, of reading individuals and knowing what they're going to do. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping 
and 365 day returns. I, I don't think I'm going to surprise everybody, but for those who don't know, um, James Scowcroft is that, that rarest of gems in that he is one of those former um, Premier League and uh, and championship footballers uh, who had a long career and uh, obviously got into games for free because he was playing in them. And of course, then he had mates in the game who got him free game. But, but no, throughout all this, he decided, guess what? I'm a football fan too. I'm actually going to keep paying for my season ticket at Old Trafford, even though I live halfway across the country. And, and you still do, I believe. And so you went to the Britannia as a fan, as a traveling Manchester United supporter. Did you feel like going into it that it was kind of United's first serious test this season, given how bad? I mean, they didn't know ahead of times, but the opposition's been no, pretty. I, I actually feel quite comf- uh, confident with Manchester United, um, you know, and it was very sort of divided. A lot of people think it was a good point. Um, the typical Stoke away is never an easy game. I actually thought it was two points dropped, and had United been a little bit more clinical in front of goal and probably a little bit more clinical in uh, in, in the defensive areas, they would have quite easier won. James, quite easily? I was a little bit surprised that Mourinho went to a, a 4-3-3 with the the 4-2-3-1 having seemingly worked so well in their in their previous matches. The balance of it seemed to be so good with with Matic kind of sitting against and, bad teams anyway. I suppose so, yeah. I particularly like Guitarian in that in a slightly more sort of central role, um, which obviously you can't you can't really do with the with the four three three. Do you like this four three three? Did you think it needs to be? I mean, which United do you like? Do you like this one, or do you like the one with Mkhitaryan, Mata, and you know? No, over I, I, I like the United. Um, my my favorite player is Martial. How Martial? I, I know some of the reasons why he doesn't start, but how he doesn't get into the starting line. Okay. I, w- I would love Martial, Lukaku, and Rashford to be in a starting three. I've never seen in the last... Martial, Lukaku and Rashford. Martial. Lukaku um, and Rashford. Yeah, as a front three. So tell me your midfield. My midfield would be Pogba, Matic, and then I would have a number 10 rotate between Mata, Mkhitaryan. And Lingard. Lingard. (laughs) I love this. I love this because... Because, you know, if you go, it's like you regress to being like 14 year old with your Patini Snickers. Like, I, I would you, you'd really do that. You drop Bata Mkhitaryan for Lingard so that you could cram Martial and Rashford with Martial's with got to play. Martial's United's best player. There's our headline for the podcast Martial is United's best player. I love it. I love it. I no, it's fine. You bring it's me cool. on for an opinion. That's yes, my opinion. No, we, we, all have, we all have our favorites. Stoke. We like what Sparky's doing, switching to the back three, Peters and Mambir and Juf, two very different players on, on, on the two. I mean, Mambir and Juf was center forward, really, originally, creating mismatches. That's, is, is that a creativity that we don't normally ascribe to Mark Hughes, but maybe we should start doing that? that the line that he put out, I thought, was pretty sophisticated. I think against the weaker sides, I, I just think they're hit or miss, Stoke. And I think at the weekend... Are you talking about Sparky's tactics? Here? Yeah, I, yeah, I think they're hit or miss as well. Oh, no, it's from funny. Because when he was younger, I imagine you as a little boy, Sparky. Oh, he's one of my heroes. Exactly. Look, and now you criticise. That's, you know. And he's gone from hero to zero with a lot of United people. Speaking of that, I want to get your sense on this. This Mourinho-Hughes handshake stuff, for those who didn't know, earlier in the game. And by the way, 
because Mourinho wouldn't talk about it afterwards. In fact, he made this big to-do about how, like, how dare he even be. It's not very nice that you're even asking me the question, which I thought is, you know, vintage Mourinho. Let's go and talk about nonsense to, to turn into Mr. Deflecto. But what we did see was Hughes talking in his technical area with a fourth official, Mourinho wandering in the general area. Hughes said it was in his technical area. I can't tell from the TV pictures, frankly, if he was. And Hughes says something and kind of shoves Mourinho away. Then later, somebody briefs the media. I'm going to speculate and suggest it might have been United, but I honestly don't know, that Mourinho felt aggrieved because uh, Hughes apparently told the um, fourth official that Mourinho should be sent to the stands and also some uh, industrial language was used between the two. Personally, I would find them both for just conduct unbecoming on the sidelines, but but that's just me, and it probably wouldn't be fair. What, what would you do, James, in this situation? Is there an obligation to shake hands? Can, 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 can we can we make people shake hands, the two coaches, after the game? I just, and, I, I really kind of struggle to be outraged about this sort of thing. I, I just sort of, I have no real kind of strong feelings on it, but if they kind of don't want to shake hands, I sort of don't really mind. Are you outraged? Yeah, I don't, I don't like people that don't shake hands. Um, so does that mean you don't like Mourinho? No, I do like Mourinho. <laughs> I, let him off on this, uh, I just thought I just thought it was petty. I think you can embarrass people by shaking their hand at the end of the day and saying, you know, what Mark Hughes Mark Hughes was niggly all afternoon on Saturday. He was niggly as a player too. Yeah. But that was a lot. Well, the, the thing with Mourinho, Mourinho kinda of made it a point to go and shake everybody, you know, right down to the tea lady's hand on the Stoke bench, but not Mark Hughes. So he obviously wanted to send a message. I don't know. I We've seen this so many times, but I kind of feel like he made it into an issue. And in some ways, if he had just kind of walked off without shaking hands and without making it a point to go and shake everybody on the Stoke bench's hand, it would have been even less obvious that he was snubbing snubbing Hughes and he felt annoyed. And I also feel that, you know what? If you're not going to shake somebody's hand, freaking man up afterwards. Somebody does his job by asking you the question, why did you not shake his hand given that you shake everybody's hands after games? Did something happen? And then answer the freaking question. Don't be like, well, it's not a nice thing. I mean, what, 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 why? What's the big deal? See, I didn't feel like shaking his hand because I didn't like the way he behaved in the game. And we're going to complete an exercise that we started last week um, where we looked at Premier League clubs. Um, we, we ranked them by, uh, by net spend. And um, we got as far as Crystal Palace, funnily enough. They, they took Ruben Loftus-Cheek on loan. Uh, they signed Mamadou Saka, who did well for them uh, last year. And uh, Tim Fosumensa. On, on, on the surface, Hyra Reed Vault, I suppose, is one of those things you do for your manager. And they let a whole bunch of players go, but didn't get any money back for them. Did this strengthen Palace? You happy with this, Scully? I think they desperately needed a centre-forward in. Uh, if, if, um, so they didn't get one? They didn't get one. And if... Um, Ben Tucker gets injured, they could seriously have big problems. Uh, I know they let Fraser Campbell go, but hindsight, you probably would have kept him. Liverpool. I'm trying to wrap my head around this because, again, uh, their their net spend $33.8 million, slightly less than Crystal Palace, but they have committed some uh, $60 million, um, next season for, for Nabi Keita, who's a player I love. Obviously, he turned down the, the Coutinho money. They brought in Mohamed Salah, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Andrew Robertson, and, and Dominic Solanke who uh, may or may not live up to the billing. Is this good or is it bad because ultimately they didn't address the fact that their center halves are still named, you know, Joel, Dejan, and Ragnar? 
I really like the signing of, of Salah. He addresses an, an area of need. He will provide a lot of assists, I think. I personally, I think, have slightly more belief in Matip and Lovren than anyone else, but... Okay, so you're okay with them not signing a fourth centre-half. Rattling on through this, Bournemouth, Scoey, £20 million on Nathan Ake, £10 million on Asmir Begovic. I mean, Chelsea happy. On paper, you've added two guys who are who are solid and can do a job for you for uh, for a good amount of time. They hung on to all their stars. The other big signing, Jermaine Defoe, a lot of talk about his wages and the fact that it's a three-year deal at his age. To me, that deal makes no sense whatsoever. Um, That's two of us. Do you like the Ake and Begovic signings? I think Begovic is an excellent signing. I think they've got a very, very good... Uh, a lot of people underestimate the how important a good goalkeeper is to have in your team, and I think they've got a very good goalkeeper that will be there for a while that will get them points, gain them points this season. I think that is one of the standout buys of the summer, actually. So other than Defoe, you're on board with this? Yeah. Next up, Southampton. Southampton, um, they kind of made their big statement this summer, I think, by... Uh, by hanging on to uh, Virgil van Dijk. Obviously, Mauricio Pellegrino's come in. Uh, not many people really overwhelmed. Uh, they, they, they they spent quite a bit of money on Mario Lemina from, from Juventus, who I've seen a lot. Mm, midfield playmaker type, can put the boot in. I think he really needs to go up several levels if he's going to contribute. And also, Wesley Hoot, who I don't know. I, I He had a good season, very good season last year at Lazio. Did he have a 15 and a half million pounds worth of good season? Uh, I don't know. But you can kind of see the Hoot for Van Dyke partnership. You can sort of see maybe what they're trying to do. Well, what do you reckon? Southampton is a tricky one because actually, I mean, the early problem that's kind of begun to rear its head for them this season is that they don't score enough goals and they can maybe have done with sort of adding some adding some creativity because apart from Stephen Davis, I don't, they don't really have a kind of creative sort of number 10 type of player. Maybe done with adding one of those. Newcastle, this is another one that's come under the spotlight, partly because nobody likes Mike Ashley, and uh, and as Rafa ages, everybody seems to love him more and more. Um, but, you know, in the summer, they spent $20.9 million, which is dwarfed, actually, by the spending of, of Brighton and, and, and Huddersfield among um, newly promoted sides. Jacob Murphy, who's from your part of the world, so I'm assuming from Norwich, yeah, I, I'm buy. assuming... People are excited about it? I don't know. Yeah, because no, it comes I think from that's the a champ- very good, sensible buy. What I would say is that they, they spent money last season in the championship, didn't they? Then maybe people are overlooking that they spent possibly, they, they gambled last season on promotion and maybe that just had a, a curtailed effect on um, them so far this season. Mikel Marine, I think, is an interesting one um, and tells you a little bit. And, and I'd be curious to see what happens if, if, if he would ever play him with, with Shelby. Joselu, I'm not. I'm not a big Joselu guy. I don't know. I, I I can see why Rafa felt that maybe he would have liked to see a little more spending. West Ham, speaking of uh, uh, managers who've come under criticism, and, who, and you're going to go see them uh, um, tonight, uh, Gearbrandt. In the end, they, they they spent a fair amount of, of money, um, 17.2 million net spend. They, they sold pretty well, I thought, as well. Uh, getting money back for, for Ashley Fletcher and um, Darren Randolph and, and Figuli, as well as Ener Valencia. Um, but yeah, Pablo Zabaleta on a free, and it's one of those things everybody seems to, to love. Um, Joe Hart on loan, 20 million on Arnautovic, 16 on Chicharito. Does that take you to the next level? We did a sort of Time Sport online piece where all the writers sort of went through and picked their worst 
piece of business of the summer and, and Arnautovic got quite a few shouts, which I think was fair enough, to be honest. It seems like an awful lot of money for someone who was always quite inconsistent at Stoke. They signed a lot of relatively old players, relatively experienced players, I think because they had such a kind of an absolute horlix of a transfer window last summer that they sort of went with more kind of proven quantities, but that's always a bit of a double-edged sword. But it strikes me, though, and on paper anyway, they've added three guys who we all expect to be starters, right? Yes. Uh, legitimately. Mm. Three and a half, Arnautovic. You know, yeah, no, I, I think Arnautovic is a good player. It's... Right, so if you've added four starters and your net spend is $17.2 million and you got rid of guys who weren't regulars, that's not bad, is it? No, I, th- I think, well, th- only time will tell, won't it? But if you look at Joe Hart... Zabaleta, Chikorito as well. You you got three good experienced Premier League players that are, you know, good solid professionals, good lads in the dressing room. So I think you can't really argue with those three. I'm not hugely sold on any of West Ham's current crop of central midfielders. Like I've seen Pedro Obiang and like Lanzini, no? Sorry, Lanzini I'm thinking more of as a sort of kind of attacking yeah, midfielder. Of ten, I've yeah. seen kind of I've seen Obiang and, and Mark Noble play really well, but I just don't I don't think they're consistent enough. I think they could have done with signing someone, you know, really dominant and, and consistent in that in that area of the pitch. Next up, Leicester, Premier League champions two years ago. Um, this is interesting because their net spend in the end, $13.5 million, um, really not that high. They rolled the dice big time on on Maguire, Iborra in midfield, and Iheanacho. They got a ton of money back for drink water, and they, they hung on to... To Riyad Mahrez. And Damari Gray. Damari Gray seems And Damari Gray, who was was very much in yeah. demand. Did they miss a trick on not letting Mahrez go? I think so. I, I think you know, he's adored in Leicester and I think he's seen as uh you know a key part to to what they've they've done and, and the and the future. I, I just think the player possibly has gone a little bit stale there. I think he does need to move on. Um, I personally would have possibly sold him and kept Drinkwater because I believe Drinkwater is uh, quite a big voice in the dressing room there and, and a, a good pro. But I think if you actually look at the going into the window, Drinkwater was a target, Riyad Mahrez was a target, Damari Gray was a target at the end. So they've, they've done well to, to keep most of them. They've lost Drinkwater. I think Harry Maguire is a, is a very good signing. You know, if you, if you look at Harry Maguire and compare him to... Crystal Palace spending the money on Sacco, who would you rather have? Someone who's £10 million cheaper and going to be in England future? I think that's better business. Or somebody who was a regular for France. Mm. But yeah, obviously. No, well, I, he's not a regular for Liverpool, is he? He can't get in one of the worst defences in the league. So. <laughs> can't argue I, with that point. I really like the signing of Ian Acho. I mean, and I, you do. And I really I don't. I, I don't like the fact that the Man City Lamb guy. I mean, this is a, this is a player who is scoring at something like, I mean, yeah, he's playing a very good team in Man City, but you have to say his, you know, his strike rate in the Premier League is absolutely exceptional. He's scoring at something like, you know, once every, I don't know, 105 minutes, something something in that region. And for a player who's 20 years old, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's a player, you know... Well, they get with, 25 million pounds for him. I mean, that's... I mean, that's, you know, that's what Chelsea played for Zappa Costa. You know, I mean, I, I think that's... I thought it was cheap by the standards of this window. It's going to Tottenham. Um, now, the following teams all made a profit in the transfer window in net terms. For most of the summer, they looked like they were doing nothing. And then, um, other than signing Davidson Sanchez, I suppose, an extra body at the back. But then they picked up Serge Aurier, who I think is, is a calculated risk and, and probably a gamble worth taking. And Fernando Llorente, a player I really like. And again, they sold really well. $18 million for Kevin Vimmer. 
I mean, are you, are you kidding me? $51 million <laughs> for Kyle Walker? They're just smarter at selling. And Is this enough to, to put them over the top, make them legit contenders? Yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good transfer window, I have to say. Um, we all are familiar with the fact that their issues revolve around the fact they have a very good first team, but not so much in reserve. And the Janssen experiment did not really pay off last season. I think Llorente is a, is a definite upgrade on Janssen. And A, gives them a... A second option behind Harry Kane, but also a plan B. Could play with Kane too. Could also play yeah. with Kane. Um, so kind of gives them a lot of options. I think Aurier, leaving aside the kind of madness, in purely playing terms, I think is a really good signing. Let's go on to uh, to Stoke. Their net spend profit was around five million. You got veterans. What you'd expect: Dan Fletcher on a free, Vimmer, which I don't get for for eighteen million. Hesse on loan. Had a couple really good games already. Chupamoting on a free. Uh, Kurt Zoma on loan, Josh Timon, who's another one of those guys who, you know, supposedly is a great future. I know you don't like Mark Hughes, uh, and 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 there's some childhood issues going on because no, he was your god when you were little. At, I'm struggling to deal with Mark Hughes at the moment. I can't <laughs> put him in a, a place. Oh, this is good. They they sold Arnautovic well, and they sold Jose, who I think pretty well given the circumstances. I'm going to say well done. I, I like this transfer window. Um, I think they overpaid for Vimmer, but I actually think he's quite a good signing. Um, Zuma, I think, likewise. Um, I actually quite like what Mark Hughes has done in terms of the attacking players that he signed because I don't know if it will work, but basically I think Stoke, they, they went very stale, didn't they? I think after there was that period of where they were very exciting and you know, they had Bojan and Shakiri and everyone was very excited about them. And then I think really after Bojan got injured, they went very, very stale. Last season, really disappointing. I think Mark Hughes in the summer could have gone for experienced Premier League attackers. I like the fact that he, he's bought players like Hesse and, and Chupo Moting. He's taken a bit of a gamble. They're interesting buys. Whether they'll continue to play well throughout the season, we'll see. Burnley, another team made a profit, $10 million, uh, roundabout. Um, two huge sales, Michael Keane and, and Andre Gray. They got $43, 44000000 million for those two, which I think is pretty good. I don't really get fifteen million pounds on Chris Wood, although he's scored a couple goals already. Um, Jack Cork's a player I really like. I thought was pretty good, and John Walters has already had an impact. So another thumbs up. Naki Wells. Naki Wells, who comes from the championship. You know, I quite so. like you, you. You don't know anything about the championship either. No, I don't. So I, I don't. I, let me explain. Chris Wood has been possibly one of the best centre forward if not the best centre forward in the championship in yeah, the last I've seen him play for New Zealand oh, right, sorry. big lumpo okay it's, which is fine I mean, depend, I mean, def- depending. definitely the best centre forward in Oceania I think we can probably well yeah if you don't yeah <laughs> in the OFC deserves yeah. his step up into the Premier League and I think he's justified himself if you look at him yesterday it was he made his goal look a lot easier than, than what it was uh, Naki Wells is always a player that I've admired a bit surprised Huddersfield let him go but I think under Sean Dyche, he's, he's got reason to, to do well. This is good. Yeah, thumbs up for Burnley? Yeah, fantastic. Perfect. Let's move on to <laughs> Arsenal. They managed to make a profit of nearly $20 million, which is good news for for the Kronk. Could have been a massive a massive loss uh, and a massive spend if they'd, they'd signed Lamar on the last day of the window. Could have all been very different. Uh, instead, you're looking at Kolasinac on a free and... 46 million on uh, on Lacazette and um, and Alexis Sanchez sticking around I think with Arsenal the headline in and out and also who they kept is kind of on the face of it you know really not a bad window at all you kept Sanchez which is probably you know the kind of single biggest issue facing them in, 
in the transfer window, positive outcome. He said goodbye to fifty million pounds, but that's all right. Well, um, they signed Lacazette, which I actually think I think has sort of been slightly kind of underrated. I think it's maybe a more it's there are not that point. many more exciting signings in the Premier League this summer. Would that be fair to say? Lacazette is an excellent signing. Then Lacazette, um, the you could you could look at it another way, since you love Lacazette so much, probably because he's French. You you could have you could have sold Sanchez. Mm. And with that money paid for Lacazette and gotten Sanchez off your books. And all this would have cost you was a year's worth of Alexis Sanchez. Instead, you're going to lose Alexis Sanchez on a free. I mean, if you want to turn it around and look at it that way, right? Uh, so, uh, and so I think th- you should do as well. I, I just don't see the point in keeping Sanchez. Yeah. I don't. So we well, give, we, I mean, the point I mean, the point in keeping Sanchez is is quite, even whether or not you agree with it, is, is quite clear that, you know, it's to have a good season this season. I mean, he's so Is important. he going to have a good season? I, c- I cannot see how he can have a good season in the situation he is. But, I mean, people said, that about, people said that about Luis Suarez, didn't they? When he didn't get Robert his Lewandowski. move. Robert um, Lewandowski. But I, I just think, going back to Arsenal, it's kind of like, it, it's the sort of, it's the little things that just sort of don't, don't make any sense. Like the sort of, what... What's going on with Joel Campbell, who's going off, who's who's um, you know going off for his like his sixth loan spell or something? Dude, I think Joel Campbell is the least of Arsenal's no, no, problems. But, but, but yes, it's kind I of it's symptomatic. Like I mean, if I think apparently joined up thinking, I think is the word you're looking correct. for. Correct, and then, you know they supposedly offered twenty million for Callum Chambers. Wenger prefers Rob Holding, so why would you not? Why would you not get? We do have million? a shortage of, of of tall defenders, right? Yeah. And they sold they sold Gabriel. And finally, Swansea, Swansea, who are the um, who are the transfer window winners in purely financial terms, with a uh, a positive net spend of thirty five point six million pounds, largely down to the fact that they tricked Everton into spending forty five million on um, Gilfie Sigurdsson, and I thought sold Urente quite well, um, given the circumstances to, to to Tottenham. They've added Sam Klukas, who's I think a very promising um, player. They brought back Wilfred Boney, and they got Tammy Abraham on loan and Renato Sanchez on loan too. What do we think of this sort of strategy of saying, like, you know what? Rather than going and spending all this money, let's go and get players from big clubs on loan and help them and help them develop and, and help us along the way. Obviously, both players, by the way, who from Paul Clement's old clubs. That's great, but you're in the same position this time. In ten months' time, aren't you? There's no. You know, surely, as an owner, are you developing players doing that? Surely, you would like your own players, like like Leicester have done with Damari Gray, go and buy him from who was a, an exciting young talent. Bring him on board, develop him. A, then you've got a first team player, and you've got somebody that you can sell on for ten, fifteen, twenty million pounds more. I really didn't like effectively swapping because they cost so much money swapping Llorente for Wilfred Boney I mean I think that's a that's a kind of huge well Llorente wanted to leave that's the problem that's the reality yeah I'm not the quality of the replacement is not I mean I know he scored a lot of goals when he was at Swansea but this is someone who scored I think eight goals in his last two and a half Premier League season all right, enough of this nonsense. How about some quick hits? Chelsea went away to Leicester 2-1. Gearbrandt, they're one point off the top. You feeling a little more confident now? Or will the Champions League and how they handle two games a week be the real test? Well, I think obviously how they handle two games a week will be more testing. But I I'm, I, I feel very confident about Chelsea. Um, I thought it had a, actually a really good transfer window. Um, and I, I think Conte is, you know, I think Conte is excellent. Um 
So I've, I've got a lot of a lot of faith in that. It would have been a better transfer window if they'd signed Llorente, of course, uh, which they wanted to do. Tottenham romped to a 3-0 win at Everton, and now that uh, August is over, Harry Kane is free to score again. Scoey, any good reason why um, we can't take Tottenham seriously as title challengers? Yeah, they don't win the home games. Bit of a problem. Boom. Just yeah. like that. Well, if you don't win your home yeah. games, you're not going to win the league, are you? They've got a problem. They second they're... last year. Oh, last year? And what, what's How many last home year? games what? have they had this year? The two, and they've not won any. One of them was against Chelsea. And one was against Burnley. Who beat Chelsea? Away. No, just saying. I thought a Chelsea fan. Speaking of Everton, uh, uh, that was pretty dire. Uh, Gearbrandt, we've spoken of poor squad construction before. How much of this is down to to Ronald Koeman? I think Koeman is, fundamentally, I think he's a good coach. Um but you should not be allowed to buy and sell players. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't get a lot of their business this summer. I, I think actually they're actually really not reliant, but the the kind of pace of of Calvert Lewin and also Davis. I think they're actually really they're quite important players, and I just I don't see how they fit in when you've signed Rooney and Sigurdsson and Clarsen. Arsenal stomp all over Bournemouth 3-0 and they do it without Alexis Sanchez starting Scoey does this mean anything or is, does it just mean that the cherries were once again awful the cherries were horrific awful let's they were the pits yes let's see the big test they've got Chelsea at the weekend Arsenal haven't they let's see if it is a uh, a one-off or not what do you think I think it is I think the opposition was poor Arsenal are better than Bournemouth but I think they'll get beat at the weekend Back to square one. Watford are one of only four undefeated teams in the Premier League after a 2-0 win at Southampton. Gearbrandt, it seems that folks can't talk about Watford without mentioning how this is obviously a stepping stone for Marco Silva and he deserves all the credit and enjoy him while you can because he won't be there very long. Are you going to go down that route as well? We'll sit very early start of the season. I think Silva deserves some credit. I think as well you've got to give you've got to give the club a bit of credit because they've bought the right players and also kind of subverted all the traditional wisdom about, you know, Bunch of foreign mercenaries on loan from Granada. Well, exactly. Not having kind of a huge turnover of player and coaches. What would make it work for them? Uh, the player that I really like is Ducore. I think he's he's excellent. Yeah, he's um he's got a real presence about him, doesn't he? Jamal Lascelles scores a dramatic goal after uh, uh, making a dramatic goal line interception, and Newcastle go and win, and the Rafa Lucian is on. Uh, you feeling a little bit better about Rafa? I didn't really feel any worse beforehand, really. I think it was an excellent win. I think Newcastle will be there or thereabouts. I think they'll just stay up. I think maybe Swansea have a few problems at the moment, especially defending corners zonally. If they do stay up that way, then uh, Ashley will be vindicated. I think Mike Ashley gets a lot of people hide behind Mike Ashley at Newcastle. and it's always, Everything is Mike Ashley's fault. It can't always be his fault. Gab, one for you. You wrote about homegrown players in Europe's top clubs today. Tell us more. Uh, yeah, so you know how City and uh, and Chelsea, uh, but not just them, get a lot of stick because uh, they spend all this money and they have all this super strong academy and they win all these trophies, but then uh, these guys don't play in the youth team. I want to attack this idea that like a great academy um, produces players and makes them into into stars because I don't really think it's true. Um, and what's difficult for, for the top clubs right now is because of the Bosman rule, because of uh, of the polarization, um, the, the bigger clubs are at such a level that it's actually really, really hard, unless you're some kind of freaking superstar, to break into the starting eleven. And 
as evidence of this, I looked at the Champions League, which starts uh, this week. There are 17 clubs from Europe's five big leagues in there. Out of those 17 clubs, I looked at how many players were homegrown. But I used my own definition of homegrown, which is players who joined the club before the age of 16, because otherwise it's very easy to go and cherry pick your Cesc Fabregas or your Paul Pogba. Um, and I took out players who were over the age, who were age 30 or older, because you know obviously they broke into the first team at a different era. Out of 17 clubs, you know how many there are who uh, um, who, who meet those criteria? Who, in other words, who joined that club before the age of 16 and are under the age of 30 and are regulars? There's eight. And that's counting people like like Marcus Rashford, who you know may or may not be a regular. I counted him as a regular anyway. He played 50 games last season, so you have to count that as a regular, don't you? He started... Jesse six, Lingard, regular? No. He started six... Rashford started 16 of 38 games. But yes, I, I counted him as a, as, as, as a regular, as a member of the best, of, of the hypothetical best 11. There's very, very few players who, who fit that criteria. And to me, this shows that when we think of like a great transfer, um, or sorry, of, of, a great academy, um, we're talking, you know, a lot of times it's people who are, do a great job at scouting 16 and 17-year-olds. Um, and not because they're bad, but because taking a kid at eight and having the luck to, 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 to see his, uh, his future ability and giving him the skills that he can go and play for one of the top sides in the world, which is what these teams are, is actually extremely, extremely difficult. Hi there, and welcome to the Sweeper Recap. Uh, the Sweeper is the Times' fancy football tip service, which will land in your email every Friday morning if you sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fancy football. I'm Charlie Scott, and I'm here with Paddy Bonbear. Hi, everyone. Bit of a tough one for fantasy football managers this weekend. If, like me, you may have sold Kevin De Bruyne and Harry Kane in order to make room for Sadio Mane. Spurs looked very impressive. Ben Davies was the top scorer of game week four so far, and he's the top scorer in the whole competition at the moment with 32 points. So the left back looks like he might be worth an investment. Yep, and Harry Kane, as expected. August is over and the goals are flowing again, so um, their fixtures look very enticing for the next few weeks. So I would say if you have the means to find space in your squad for him and likewise for Christian Eriksen behind him, then that's definitely worth doing that there are points coming in the next few weeks. Elsewhere, Kiko Firmenia, the Watford fullback, was at it again. We told you uh, before game week three that you should uh, possibly take a punt on him and uh, 19 points in the past two weeks has, has turned out pretty nicely. So their fixtures look tricky, but uh, at 4.5, he's, he's great value to have in your squad. Uh, elsewhere, there were a couple of... Um, Unlikely players scoring big points. Pascal Gross at Brighton, uh, Eric Maxim Chupo Moting at Stoke. Danny Welbeck was a big scorer for Arsenal. And um, we'll have our usual weekend recap up on the Time Sport website from a Tuesday afternoon. And we'll be telling you whether those guys are uh, are worth getting in in the coming weeks or if uh, if it's all a mirage. <laughs> Just remember, you can sign up for the sweeper at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. And you'll get the email in your inbox on Friday morning, which will also include the winner of August competition which was a very teasing question that Paddy put out last week and the winner will get two tickets to Rio Ferdinand's Times Plus event in Manchester on Sunday October the 1st That's all we've got time for today many many thanks to my guest James Gearbrandt and James Scowcroft many thanks also to Matthew Syed who joined us to talk about Dele Alley. Uh, remember you can subscribe to our newspaper it's just £8 for an 8 week trial and 
you get the Sunday Times as well. Not as good, in my humble opinion, but then I would say that because I don't work for them. Um, this season, if you do that, you can access highlights of every single game in the Premier League, the Champions League, the Europa League, and, at least in the third round, the FA Cup as well. Uh, next Monday, we'll be reacting to the weekend. Champions League is kicked off, and also Chelsea versus Arsenal, and maybe Crystal Palace will have a new manager by then. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.